You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Boston College, AJ Black here. Happy Wednesday. We have made it halfway through the week, and on today's show, we have two basketball things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about one more candidate and a little extra news I thought that was interesting about the basketball search. I want to kind of get jump into that. And then I have an interesting interview in our final segment with Britt Collins, of who used to play for UMass uh, Tennis, who's going to talk to us about the NCAA. And I, I, she has a really interesting story that I think transcends the Boston College UMass stuff. Um, I know I usually give UMass people a lot of crap. I won't be doing that in this episode. Uh, so check out her interview. It's really interesting. It's in our last segment. To kick things off, there really weren't any uh, any big Boston College news on Tuesday. But the one piece I did see was that um, Mark Blounchin, who uh, writes for SI.com on his TMG column. I usually don't use him as much uh, in terms of um, sources, but he did hit on something that could be true, which is that Boston College could be using a search firm for their coaching search. Now, this is not Eddie Fogler, who I know a lot of people have uh, ripped on for you know his relationship with Brad Bates and the last couple coaching searches, especially in basketball. Uh, but it could be in in play, and so. I know, and I'm bringing this up because I wanted to jump out ahead of this. I'm going to write about it on the website too uh, today, so check that out. But the piece that I wanted to discuss was I really wanted to get a sense of what a coaching search firm does. Because you see fans constantly just saying, oh, they're a giant waste of time. You know, why do they need that? They always get bad coached candidates, blah, 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 blah. This is terrible. And and believe me, when people saw that Blanchin wrote this, that was a that was exactly what how they reacted. I saw it all over Twitter. People were like, oh, gosh, they're doing it again. But I found an ec- excellent article on um, SI.com from Andy Staples a couple of years ago. He doesn't write for SI anymore. But he, he wrote a whole article, and I'll link it in the on the site. Why do college ADs spend money on search firms? And he gave four reasons why coaches' uh, search firms are used. Cover, plausible deniability, inside information, and background checks. So a lot of this has to do with perception, right? They want to make sure this – so basically the, the point of the article says – that coach searching firms are not used to give a list of possible candidates to Pat Craft. So Pat Craft is not hiring a firm to say, oh, find me candidates that I want. No, it's actually the reverse. According to this article, what, what the firms do is Pat Craft gives them a list of names that he's interested in, and they do a lot of the legwork without putting Boston College in the limelight. So maybe Pat Kraft is interested in Kevin Willard, right? We've talked about him on the podcast quite a bit. They may reach out. The search firm will reach out to Kevin Willard with kind of the details of what they're, what they're willing to offer and kind of do the behind-the-scene things so that not only does Seton Hall not know that Kevin Willard's talking to Boston College, but the press doesn't know, and it keeps all the hounds at bay. Uh, for that for that to happen. And then in case he says no, none, no one gets hurt in that because no one knows because it's just a search firm. 
Now, they also do things like checking background information, right? So this one gives a great inform uh, great uh, example with George O'Leary. Now, if you remember, George O'Leary was a former Notre Dame head coach. He went to UCF and then was immediately fired when he uh, they were found that he lied on his resume. <laughs> and so a search firm would catch that. But an AD who's running a million different things at, at once doesn't have the time to you know, go over the details of a resume to see if that coach is lying. So that the search firm does that as well. The piece on plausible deniability I love as well. It comes in when someone, this is what it says in the article. Staples says, the plausible deniability comes in when someone like me asks the AD, have you contacted Coach X or any of his representatives about your opening? The AD can tell me no and not officially be lying because the search firm contacted Coach X's agent and they've been hammering out preliminary details. If Coach X packs his background check and the AD decides Coach X is a top candidate, the search firm will ask the agent if the coach wants to interview after the season's end. Only then will the AD actually speak to the coach. So he then ends it. That's what a search firm actually does when contracted for this type of hire. Rounding up names can be done for free with Google, but discretion costs money. So for a school like Boston College, this makes a lot of sense, right? You have, I've listed so many names and some of the things that I've said were, I don't know if this person's going to say yes or no. Now, if if Pat Kraft went around the nation asking all these coaches, uh, do they want to come to Boston College? And then they're all saying no. People are going to hear about that. And then that kind of stuff really hits the, um, the brand, the Boston College brand. It makes Kraft look bad. It makes the school look bad. It, it, it does make a big, big difference for the school to not have that piece. Now, that should show you that this really doesn't matter. Now, Blanchin says, oh, this makes him in deep water, blah, blah, blah. Many, many, many schools use search firms. It's part of the process. Unless you are a school that's just going to land whoever you want, or you're a school that has a target and you know you're going to get him, Using a search firm makes a lot of sense because it cuts out a lot of the, the headache and the, and the legwork. It's not, as I said to start this, it's not just that they're going to give a list to Pat Kraft. It's the reverse. So hopefully this gets your, your anxiety and heart palpitations uh, under order uh, given what you heard from Blauchin. Because I've heard, I haven't gotten um, an affirmative yes or no on this. I've talked to some people and they think it may be, but it's not... A definitive yet so i can't say yes or no if it's happening but if it is it's not the worst thing in the world for boston college now in a moment we're gonna chat about micah strawberry micah strawberry of purdue but before we do i want to give a shout out to to built bar now today i was eating one of my my built bars that i had in my box and my wife asked me for one of my built bars, and I have my special box, and it, and I had a limited edition one, and I said, Nah, you're not gonna have any of these. Sorry. And she goes, Well, you're hoarding them. I know. You. So she's making me order a mixed box. I'm 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 sorry, I'm being a little selfish here, but the built bar bar is so delicious. It's covered in chocolate. It has 18 flavors, and they always have new ones coming out. So if you check out builtbar.com. You can see some of the special ones that they have going on. They have. German chocolate, raspberry, coconut almond, which is one of my favorites, toffee almond. They have them all, and they're 100% covered in chocolate, soft and easy to chew. They taste like a candy bar, but they're a protein bar. You're not going to get the powdery, gritty, disgusting protein bars that you get at some stores or online. The Built Bar is in a class of its own. You have to try it. 
Now, Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy or girl. It's low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and it's great for the keto diet. All you have to do is go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, head on over to BuiltBar.com for 20% off your next order. Next, I want to talk to you about Locked On Today. Today on Locked On Today podcast, Tiger Woods is hospitalized after a car crash early Tuesday morning. Host Peter Bukowski gives you the latest details. Get more news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. This is Locked On Boston College. If you do not follow our Twitter account, please do. It's at LockedOnBC. You can follow me on Twitter at AJBlack underscore BC. And check out our website, bcbulletin.com, where I'm the editor and publisher. On Friday's show, we are going to do a mailbag. And and I'd like to do a theme on the coaching search. But if you have other questions you can ask me, you can shoot me a direct message on any of my social media accounts. Or you can email me at bostoncollegesi at gmail.com. Make sure to put your name and where you're from so that I can give you credit for the question. Now, I want to talk about one other candidate that has popped up, and that is Micah Shrewsbury. I called him Strawberry earlier. Micah Shrewsbury of Purdue. Now, Shrewsbury is an intriguing candidate that I didn't know much about until I started really diving into his name, and then I was like, ooh, maybe he could be a candidate. Now, Shrewsbury started off uh, you know, as an assistant. He worked with Brad uh, Stevens at Butler, and then traveled with Stevens when Stevens was hired by the Celtics and was an assistant with the Celtics for six years. So he has Boston connections. He's been here for a while. But after uh, in 2019, he ended up back at Purdue, where he was before, before uh, at one point. And he's the associate head coach under Matt Painter. Now, obviously, Purdue is a top-notch basketball program. They have one of the best offenses in the country. And Shrewsbury was big in terms of reinvigorating a program that lost three starters and giving them one of the top offenses in the country. They were a, a top 50 for in terms of offensive efficiency. So he's an offensive-minded coach. He has the pedigree under Brad Stevens and Matt Painter. Would he be a fit at Boston College? Now, that's a big question. So he's in his 40s, a younger coach. Um, he has not been a head coach yet, though. Now, that's my big uh, question mark, is would Boston College go for a coach like that? Now, I said for Howard Isley, I don't think they will. I thought I, I put Isley lower on my list because I think Boston College really wants to get a head coach that has experience at running a program. And so I think that kind of, that's the one big knock on Shrewsbury. Now, Shrewsbury is an excellent recruiter. He's brought in quite a few names to Purdue and uh, continues. I think he has two four-stars coming in in 2022 to the Boilermaker program. Now, he's turned down a couple of college programs uh, as, a, to, as a head coach opportunity at UMass and Georgia State. So those two schools were not uh, up to par for him, but that was when he was with the Celtics. Would he turn down Boston College? That's a big, big question. Now we talked about coach searches, searching firms earlier. Uh, would they? Would he be weeded out? Now, you know, with Shrewsbury, I like the opportunity to get a coach that could uh, grow into something bigger than than he is now. You know, obviously we have Jeff Halfley, who went from de- you know defensive coordinator for a while, secondary coach to you know 
the future of Boston College football. You'd love to see that repeat and, and for Boston College to do that. But basketball is at such a point, it's such a risk with this program right now. You This this hire needs to be a home run. And given what I've seen and heard rumors of what Boston College could and might spend for their next head coach, I'm not sure that Micah Shrewsbury would fit in that mold. Now, I put him on my list yesterday. If you haven't gone out to bcbulletin.com, I made my big board. And what I did was I ranked, just kind of like I do on this podcast, I ranked uh, potential coaching candidates by the likelihood of whether they would be a coach uh, at BC. So like on my my list, I have like no way, no chance in heck, would be like my Rick Patinos And uh, I actually had John Beeline. He's moved down to that point. And then I, I go to the middles and I had like, you know, um, you know, you know Moses uh, Porter Moser and and some other names there, and then my top couple were were Micah Shrewsbury and uh, Mark Schmidt. Those were my top two. Now that could change any day, but I I you know he he may not be the head coach, but if BC goes down their list, right? So say you know just like in former uh, you know some of their old coaching searches, BC strikes out. Like I, you know, if you remember correctly, during the Steve Donahue, not Steve Donahue, the Jim Christian coaching search, BC struck out all over the place, uh, according to rumors. Now that could happen again because BC basketball is in such bad shape right now. Would you know if they if they go for like Kevin Willard and they try and they fail and they try for Mark Schmidt and even Mark Schmidt says no, would and they get down to like a Micah Shrewsbury, would that be the worst thing? I don't think so. I, I, you know, if if they stumble into him, I am not opposed to that because I think, you know, he may take a lo- little bit longer to get the program around, but he could do still he could still do some good things. And he could also fall on his face too because we don't know what he's gonna be. But I, I still think he has the potential. So I put him as a six on my potential coaching my coaching list. He's now he's in my lower tier in terms of potential coaches as, as like a plan C or whatever. But I don't think he's out of the realm of possibility of becoming Boston College's next ho- head coach. So Micah Shrewsbury is another name I wanted to throw out there. Um, but in a moment, we're going to chat with Britt Collins about her journey and battle with the NCAA. And it's, a, it's an interview that I think you're going to really enjoy. She's not a Boston College athlete, but her journey and her battle could be something that could happen to any athlete in the NCAA and could happen at, at, at Boston College. So you're not going to want to miss that. But before we do, let's chat a bit about betonline.ag. Now with football over, there is so many other things. If you like to wager, you can you can do that all on betonline.ag. They have the NBA, college basketball, NHL, and baseball is right around the corner. Heck, they even have the award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. With real-time updated odds and props on anything you can imagine. They get you cut for there at betonline.eg. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus when you use Locked On, your promo code. Again, your promo code is Locked On. So head on over to betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Now, I've talked about some great Locked On podcasts, and I'm telling you, you got to check some of these out. And uh, the one you're going to want to check out is Wade and Ward, who are our co-hosts on Locked On College Football. They host on Wednesdays. 
Hosts Andrew Wade and Josh Ward get you over the Wednesday hump as they discuss the biggest storylines across the nation and start our experts' look at the upcoming weekend of college football action. Remember, FCF's football is in action right now. If you need a good football kick, check out some good FCS football. Subscribe to Locked On College Football wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Locked On Boston College. This is AJ Black. I'm the editor and publisher of BC Bulletin. And we have done this podcast for now three months or so. And I have to say, I thought it would take me longer before I would get a UMass person on my podcast. But here I am. And no, I'm not going to troll her the whole time. I actually have an uh, athlete from UMass that I want to talk to about some really important things I think impact where Boston College sports are. So with me, I have Brett Collins, a class of 2017 tennis player from UMass, who's going to tell us a little bit about her story. Brett, how are you doing? Great. Thank you. And thank you for having me on this show. I, uh, I know you guys catered to the BC crowd. I actually dreamed of going to BC growing up, being from Boston, but landed at UMass and it turned out to be okay. Yeah. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, you know, BC fans, we like to, you know, give UMass fans crap, but who, between all of us, who's in more, uh, you know, financial aid debt at the end of the day, you know what I mean? Um, But Britt, so your story, if, if people haven't heard, you were a tennis player with UMass. In 2017, you won the A-10 tournament uh, for tennis. And yeah. recently, there were some really negative things that happened because of the NCAA. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, it's, um, it's super weird. So I'll, I'll try to explain it in, in short form because it's kind of developed and been really long. But um, as you said, I graduated in 2017. And I've been playing professional tennis since graduating college and I was driving home from practice and one of my coaches sent me this like press release from the NCAA and it said something along the lines of, you know, UMass uh, gave impermissible benefits to their athletes and being three years removed from school, I thought nothing of it. Um, I just kind of, I didn't even open the link to be honest. I just wrote back to my coaches and said, oh, it's a shame, Um, you know, hope things work out. And that's when it caught my attention because they wrote back immediately and were like, no, Britt, didn't you play on the tennis team between 14 and 17? Cause I was a transfer and came in my sophomore year. And then I was like, why, why would they say that? So I, I clicked on the article immediately, didn't even get out of my car. And I started reading about myself, um, which was really confusing because I had never been contacted by the NCAA, but um, I had seen that two tennis players along with some basketball players were in trouble for receiving these stipends. Um, And they, they didn't make sense to me at first. It was called the telecom fee. And I learned that I was basically long story short. um, There was a clerical error, which uh, where I was deposited um, by administration, $252 into my bank account with my lump sum scholarship money. And that was a stipend that was only meant for, students who lived on campus in my junior year, I had moved off campus. And um, the UMass had self-reported this because they were doing an audit um, themselves and um, just came across it. And it was a really minor thing. And they went to the NCAA with it. Um, that's kind of like the whole point of you know self-incentivized reporting. Right. And the NCAA actually came back and said, thank you so much for doing this. Um, they launched an investigation and they said, yeah, you know, UMass record keeps well 98% of the time. This is minor and an honest mistake. So $5,000 uh, fine and one two year probation. 
I don't know what happened, but somewhere maybe a couple days later, the case went to the Committee on Infractions and they kind of laid out this amateurism rule where they said, nope, these girls were given impermissible benefits. It doesn't matter about the dollar amount. Um, any match they played in, they're ineligible and therefore the team will lose their records as well from that point forward, which kind of sparked this big conversation, right? So here we are. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so $252 and they stripped you of all of your wins. Yeah, it's tough when I say wow. it like that. I mean, the memories are with me, but um, yeah. I just, it's just hard. I just think like that's an organization that prides itself on protecting their athletes and for yeah. an error that an athlete didn't make and their member institution did to punish the athletes, I think that's really like a hard thing to accept. Right, and so you've been battling the NCAA, not battling, but you've been really trying to get your voice heard since this issue started. Um, obviously, yeah. you have on your Twitter account, you can find Britt on Twitter. Um, you can, you've been starting a petition to kind of get NCAA's attention. I've seen you, I mean, I was just watching you on CBS. Um, you've been getting a lot of attention for this because it seems like the NCAA was, you know, you see all the things that some of the, some other schools, and I'm sure like, you know, football down South, they probably get away with way worse than that. And for them to right. lay down the, like the hammer on you for this, it seems completely arbitrary and unfair. Yeah. So I guess this whole thing, you know, if there's a silver lining, it has kind of, I guess in a way kind of brought me into this world that, I've now learned about all the people that are fighting the NCAA for these injustices. Um, you know, there's a lot of like really serious things going on with physical assault and, you know, power struggle relationships between coaches and the administrations sure. and the players. And I just think it all stems from the NCAA. And I was super grateful to have a scholarship and I still really loved my experience, um, you know, and who it made me into. But I, I just feel like this is a demonstration of how much the power NCAA has. Mm -hmm. And after meeting so many people that kind of explain the importance of our story and why it could be helpful for, you know, legislation this year, I kind of understood that there's been a lot of people like Sonny Vaccaro and Taylor Branch who have been long, you know, fighting for athletes rights and the, and the rights that they deserve. And as a college athlete, the most important thing to me right now, and it's why I'm trying to use my voice, is I was so unaware of all these people. I kind of just went under the mentality, this is our situation. You know, you do as you're told. You're under a scholarship. Like, you, you work hard. You get good grades. And that's how it is. And whatever hand you're dealt is what you're dealt. And so um, after college, realizing, like, you know, you could do nothing wrong and still get in trouble. And there's all these people, great people out there fighting on behalf of athletes. I wanted to get in on that because being so close to have graduated not long ago, yeah. I want current athletes to understand that that's what's going on because I just didn't at the time. Right. And that's part of the reason why I want to have you on. I, I you know, I know you're a UMass person, but it, the, your struggle and what you're going through could happen anywhere. You know, it could happen right. at Boston College. It could happen at Suffolk. It could happen any school in the Commonwealth. Now, yeah. I, you know, we connected when I had started to cover, I saw that a um, Massachusetts Senator was starting to push for NLI um, uh, legislation through the state, which if you, it, for the listeners at home that don't know, that would allow um, athletes to, you know, use their own likeness and image to make, to make money, to not have the types of uh, infractions put upon them that Brit had. 
So, mm-hmm. um, where, where are you? Where are your kind of thoughts on this whole uh, push? Because I know you you've had uh, some pretty strong thoughts on Twitter about that as well, Britt. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know everything when it comes to legislation and NIL and all this stuff and kind of both sides of the argument. I'm, I'm still learning as I go. There's quite a lot to learn. But what yep. really resonates with me is this bill will allow athletes who don't have um, you know, great economic backgrounds a chance to have some economic security so that if they are in a situation where they have to choose between pursuing their education or, you know, quitting and, and possibly finding the funds to continue. Um, I just think this provides that kind of economic security in a little bit, like for football players, things like that. But more importantly, some of the rules that NIL prevents would be, for instance, um, any athlete who wants to hold a summer camp and teach their sport in a, in a professional way and make money cannot. That's against amateurism rules. So even if it's in the summertime and I want to teach a tennis lesson, I could not do that during college. I don't know why, um, but that's the rules. If, you know, um, a family friend wanted to cover the medical expenses of a basketball player who, you know, tore their ACL, that's an impermissible benefit. Um, You just can't have those kinds of exchanges of money. And so an NIL bill prohibits a school from penalizing a player from receiving food from a third party or medical expenses or things like that, um, which I don't really understand the argument for why the NCAA would kind of control that anyways, or say, you know, you know, women's sports is not um, as popular as the big time sports, football, basketball, Um, having the ability to market yourself on social media as a female puts like it's a benefit for everyone. It puts that sport kind of on the playing field where, you know, money could be flowing in um, and, and, you know, more awareness to women's sports and, and uh, attraction to that. So there's a lot of benefits to the NIL bill. Um, you know, most of them that really resonate with me just provide, you know, safety, health and economic benefits, yep. but there's just a lot of good stuff that goes into that. Yeah, definitely. And I know it, it seems like watching the NIL stuff, you have the NCAA and they're kind of doing a federal piece right now where they're trying mm-hmm. to get it pushed through the Senate and Cory Booker's right. trying to get it going. And it's kind of, it's, it seems like it stalled a little bit, but now the states yeah. are really pushing for it. I know Florida has a um, NIL bill that's going in, yeah. I think July 1st. Um, yeah. There's more and more states that are, are, are jumping on board and it seems so important, you know, f- to, to protect athletes, as you said, you know, giving uh, athletes the opportunity to, take care of themselves and really, you know, be on the up and up and not worry about things like that. What happened to you, Britt? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and yeah. I'm sure there's countless other cases where this has happened too. Uh, just to protect yeah. themselves. I think this seems like such a really important thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. I think the misconception that really um, goes out and I think I was actually definitely during college, probably one of those people was that it's not always really about, getting paid and that kind of stuff there's there's a bigger reason behind it um with athletes it's not you know when people say it's they get a scholarship and that's enough it's 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 a lot of work that goes in that that doesn't get seen you know behind the scenes and I think like you just kind of nailed it it really the the bills are a step in a direction that protects the athletes the NIL bill will create pressure for you know the I'll, I'll be honest with you the NIL bill from um the NCAA is very watered down and it's actually 
it's it's so restrictive that n- not a lot of athletes or if any will really benefit at all from it i'll be wow. completely honest with you um it's it's going to uh they they stalled on it because of the recent election and um you know the nil bills from the states are great because we ma- we modeled ours off of florida who modeled theirs off of california and that is important because it's going to push the federal um bills to go through which senator brooker who i'm kind of working with his team and stuff like that so it's all like a really great step in in, in the positive direction so i'm here with Britt collins Britt, you're now a professional i, I noticed on twitter you're a professional tennis player mm-hmm. um how is that working for you we'll talk really quickly about that during the pandemic are you yeah. still competing and still going with that <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. I won't lie. Um, I'm definitely trying. Pandemic has really limited the opportunities for professionals, especially yep. Americans who are not inside the top 200. So I'm playing on like, um, I would say like a secondary tour right now. And, you know, knock on wood, I've had a decent start to 2021. And I hope that I can just continue that on this secondary, like secondary tour until I can get on to the real ITF WTA, which I, I hope will be around May, but kind of just waiting for more vaccinations to go out a little bit more safe to travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Britt, where can people follow you uh, to get more information about, uh, you know, the, your journey and the NIL stuff, where, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, um, geez, <laughs> I think my my handle is at BrittCollins22. I spell my last name differently. It's C-O-L-L-E-N-S. Um, it would just mean a lot to me if people could go to my Twitter or my Instagram and click on the link that I have. It's our petition. Um, if you don't have social media, you can do change.org slash U-M tennis petition. We are currently kind of, you know, it just demonstrates our story and we're trying to get as many signatures as possible because our appeal process is ongoing and and we hope to reach a decision with the NCAA by, you know, mid-spring. And so um, that would be really wonderful if people could do that. Right, Collins. Thank you for coming on. Uh, and we'll definitely talk to you again in the future. Take care. Thank you so much.